Hi, this is Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 12 of the Clarinet.com podcast. In today's episode, I speak with master repairman Peter Spriggs, on location at the Clarinet Centre in Penticton, British Columbia, Canada. Peter has worked on over 3,000 clarinets over the years, from all over the world, and he studied with the godfather of woodwind repairman, Hans Menick. He is also the inventor of the amazing floating rails ligature, which features durable, tarnish-resistant stainless steel construction and allows for an incredible amount of reed vibration. Today's giveaway is one of Peter's amazing ligatures, shipped anywhere in the world free of charge. Please note that I've also had to change the way the giveaways work for a couple of reasons. Uh, long story short, there were some issues contacting winners who hadn't enabled messages on social media, and uh, some of these sites have actually made it almost impossible to export your follower list, and that's obviously a problem. So, going forward, all future winners will be selected only from the Clarinet email subscriber list. If you'd like to subscribe, please see clarinet.com and enter your email address at the sidebar of the homepage. Even if you don't win a prize, you'll receive the monthly newsletter, which features an exclusive discount coupon, special offers, and if you subscribe, you save 10% on your first purchase at the clarinet.com online store. You could even use that towards a Peter Spriggs ligature if you want. And now for today's episode with Peter Spriggs. Hi, Peter, and welcome to the clarinet.com podcast. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. Happy to be here. Actually, I'm happy to be here because uh, we are actually on location at the Clarinet Center in Penticton, and uh, I want to find out how you did end up in one of the most gorgeous places on earth. What brings you out here? I've traveled the world in my playing career. I mean, everywhere. I've been from Iceland to Israel to yeah. Australia to China, everywhere, you know? Um, so, and I realized Canada's the best country in the world, by far, if you consider everything. And I've traveled Canada from top to bottom, side to side. It's, it's, and the best place in Canada by far is here. Penticton is in a desert. It's a desert here. It hardly ever rains. And so I thought this would be a perfect place to live. And because it doesn't matter where I go, people are going to come to me anyways. Mm-hmm. So I decided to move here. So that's what happened. I moved here. I, I lived in a motel for three or four months. I had this house built, designed and built with my business down in the lower level, overlooking the lake still. And um, I have everything I need here. It had an airport. What else do you need? Yeah, no, it's really great out yeah. here. And so um, you've been one of the world's most sought-after repairmen for, for many years. How many instruments would you say have come through this shop? I would guess somewhere in the vicinity of 3,000. Wow. I, I used to keep track month by month. And there were some months that I'd do like 24 or 25 clarinets. Yeah. And, and sometimes I was waiting for it. I was doing almost like one a day. And sometimes someone fly in here, someone that was, I considered like really important, like Stan McCartney or someone like that, you yeah. know, and I'd, I'd stay up all night and do his clarinets. Try and finish you know, it up. Yeah. It's crazy. But um, yeah, number. somewhere around, I'd say 3,000 would be a pretty good figure. Wow. And mine must've been about five or six of those times coming back and forth. It's funny. I actually feel like my clarinets have come home, even though they were made <laughs> in Paris. They've, they've really been kind of born here, I guess. So that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. Um, you studied with the, what they call the godfather of woodwind repairmen, Hans Menick. Could you tell us a story about working with him? Well, first of all, I'll tell you how I got to see him. Yeah. Um, I didn't go to Philadelphia to learn with Hans Menick. Mm-hmm. I was already repairing clarinets to some extent. And I should maybe tell you a little bit about that. Yeah, for um, sure. I used to teach a lot. And... You'd send, I'd send a clarinet out to the place that I sort of know of as a good place in town to get it fixed and it'd come back playing worse. And I said to myself, 
I can do a better job than this. I know nothing about it. So I got a few tools and a few pieces of corks and pads and stuff like that. And I started doing it. And pretty quickly, I became well-known and much in demand. But anyways, I was a player, mostly. So, yeah. so I, I, from all my life, I, I almost idolized uh, Anthony Giuliani. I loved his sound. And principal clarinet player with the yeah. Philadelphia Orchestra for 45 years. He should be good, you know? So I went down there to take lessons with him which is in Philadelphia, which is where Hans Menick is. So I thought, I wonder if I can go and get... So I, I, I made an advance order to take my clarinet in to get it overhauled by him. And, and I did that, and he did it. And I said, do you mind if I watch? He said, no problem. So then we sort of drug a bit of a friendship with him, and also his hands, uh, his, his, uh, his uh, assistant was named Cass. He was a very nice guy, and he was very helpful too. But um, with Hans Menick, I would just sit on a stool, it's kind of a little bit behind to the side so I can see what he's doing, ask him questions as he's going, why are you doing that, how are you doing that, what are you using for that? And, um, and I would also, um, you know, I was making barrels by that time and I'd take some of my barrels down. I'd go in the next room and I'd play them and ask, what do you think of this? How should I change it? You know, whatever, you know? And uh, he actually gave me the measurements and everything. So, wow. um, so especially for E-flat barrels, I don't know if anyone's got measurements for, for E-flat barrels except me, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't make them anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, maybe someday, but who knows? I always say someday, but I, I, it probably won't happen. But anyways, so um, I did make notes, and I still got these little notebooks that I had, and uh, with all these questions and things about like what size is the reamer for a this and that, you know. Um, anyway, so that's that's um, about him. He he's amazing. He he's a, he's the guy that at that time he must have been. He looked like he was approaching eighty. And he was still doing like 12 hours a day. So when was this? Is this was the early 70s. Oh, okay. Um, and he would take a break every hour. He'd look at the clock. Oh, okay, time for Light up his pipe. Light up his pipe. Yeah. Have that. And when lunchtime comes, he'd have a sandwich or something, he'd put his head on his table, and then wake up an hour later and start working again. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very like regimented breaks. Yeah, and, I, and I, one thing that really gave me a lot of respect for him Although, you know, I hear about guys like this, but yeah. there was a guy there getting his bassoon fixed. And I yeah. asked this guy, I said, well, you know, you play around Philadelphia? He said, no, I'm from Vancouver. Wow. He said, I'm playing a concert in Miami next week, and I had to get one pad fixed. Um, and his, his name is George Zuckerman from, mm -hmm. from Vancouver, a bassoon player. And I thought, wow, you know, this guy, for people to fly to get one pad fixed, that's, that's, that's crazy. saying something, you know. Yeah. That's a very good uh, endorsement. So... Anyway, so then I asked, when I left that time, I, I, I kept on going back for lessons with Jolly Audi at the same time I go over there. Probably spent more time over there than with the clarinet lesson and um, le learned a lot and uh, tips and stuff like that. I used to go to lunch with his assistant, Casimir. I think, I'm not sure, his last name was Lucheski or something like that. But anyways, he, he, um, he would ask me questions. What would you do? How do you, how do you stop something from being sluggish in this situation? And I, you know, he'd make me keep going until I got the right answer, you know. Yeah. So he pushed me a lot, that guy. He was a very good guy. He died early. I don't know how early, but uh, Manic lasted a lot longer than he did. That's yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, back in the 80s, you wrote a book called What Every Clarinet Player Should Know About Clarinet Care. Could you give kind of a synopsis of this for listeners and sort of why you decided to write it? The most important thing about this book is people should read it. Yeah. And I find... <laughs> With every new buffet clarinet I sell, and actually every new wooden clarinet I sell, I give a copy of this book away. Yeah. Because I describe in there 
how to break a clarinet in properly, so reduce the chance of getting cracks. But I, I, I just put everything, I tried to think, because I was teaching and playing, I knew a lot of stuff about, and I was preparing already by then, I knew a lot of the issues that would come up. And so I tried to put down everything. I even put down the fact that uh, if you get your barrels mixed up, if you get your bells mixed up, one is longer than the other. Which one is it? Yeah, people okay? don't know. Huh? People don't know. Some people don't know. Yeah. If it's in a certain slot, it must be the right one. But in many cases, I get them, two clarinets come here, and they got them backwards. So for people who don't know, what is the answer? The answer is that the A barrel is shorter. Yeah. And the A bell is longer. Yeah. And why... Uh, why, why is the A barrel shorter? That's all, That's been something I think has been asked a few times. The, the the quick and easy answer is because it makes the clarinet play in tune. It's, it's the right length for the tuning of the clarinet. Yeah, yeah. Isn't doesn't it have to do with the bore as well? Well, and the bore slightly? size too. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. that's why I started making barrels because most barrels that you get from buffet are are just straight. But mm -hmm. in fact, a clarinet at the top end is bigger and and it narrows down to about halfway down the clarinet. Yeah. So why not have the barrel do the same thing? And, and you do that, and it improves it. Was it Menick who came up with that? Well, he, he might, I don't know, I can't say he was the first, but he was the first one that had a, a, that idea on the market. Yeah, because his was a reverse taper Absolutely, inside, yeah. right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so that's uh, basically what that means, if, if people don't know, is that the... Where the mouthpiece goes in to the end where it comes out at the bottom of that barrel, it tapers down. Yeah, it's smaller, just a little bit. Yeah. and yeah, also you know it's it's not quite as severe as like an oboe or something, of course. But inside the clarinet, it's not it's not just a straight tube. It does have a little bit of there's a little bit of dif 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 there's a little bit of difference. Yes. Okay. There's a very good book that describes all that stuff in way more detail than I even want to know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but if you want, if you if you're a mathematician or a, phys a physicist or something, you know, you yeah. might want to know that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, so many I have the book downstairs. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so if, if that book were released today, is there anything you'd add or change in it? I would emphasize, yes, there's one thing in particular. I would add to read it. To, because, <laughs> no, because I find so many people, they get yeah. it, they put it in the shelf, they probably never read it. Then the clarinet cracks and I said, well, how did you break it in? I said, I don't know. Yeah, like, well, yeah. that's the reason, you know. You got, if, if you follow that those steps and I emphasize when someone buys a clarinet read that portion on page four and five or whatever it is read that portion it's really really important yeah. you've got to break in a new clarinet or one that hasn't been played in a while you've got to break them in as though they have never been played ever I'm surprised it's funny you say that because it's a very it's a short book like it can be read easily in oh, one, yeah, si one sitting and oh, yeah. you can absorb a few things from it but to, to have to tell people to read it is kind of funny but uh, do you know who Tom Pawalski is? He he came on as a guest a while ago. That name sounds familiar. But he he had said that I I was reviewing his new book. It was an ebook. He written a bunch of klezmer tips or something. Oh, and I oh, said yeah. I said that's funny. There's not that much to read. And he's like, well, that was the biggest criticism people had about my first book is they had to read it. So this time I just put the music there, a couple tips, and said just play because <laughs> no one wanted to read his book. Yeah. So I thought yeah. that was, I thought yeah. that was kind of funny. Well, you know, if if people don't like, I get clarinet sometimes from some people, and there's a a screw I can't get out because it's gotten rusty. Uh -huh. It's never had a drop of oil in its life mm -hmm. and it's welded itself in there. And there have been times I've had to take a hacksaw and cut the key off to get it off because wow. it's in the way of other keys. Yeah. But then I can take, cannibalize another clarinet and, and put the parts back on. 
but I shouldn't have to do that. All it would take is just a simple drop of oil. Yeah, you do talk about the oiling in there, not just of the bore inside. No, that, that that's that's. But the keys, the, the key oil the is key almost work. more important. Oh yeah, and I, I don't think it's something people do very often. And I, it's funny because I I went and bought. I think it was a. Uh, last time I bought oil, you can get like a, a half liter of oil oh, you don't for like much. five yeah. bucks. Oh, you know, It'll you last know. you for 45,000 years. What I tell people is if they don't know and they don't have access to a proper key oil, I use yeah. I use uh, Nye, N-Y-E, clock oil. Oh, okay. And I always have done because Manic used to use it. Yeah. But if they, I tell people, look, if you can't get that, go and buy some sewing machine oil. Sewing machine oil? Yeah, it'll work oh, okay. perfectly. Great. Just take a pin, put a drop on every intersection. And how often would you recommend doing that? At least twice a year. Twice a year? Or at least once ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? Really? It would help. <laughs> yeah. No, I bet. I bet you see some stuff. And uh, the, the maintenance, I always try when I teach to incorporate into the lessons because I think that it's important that students do know how to like do things like that. If you don't show them how to oil their keys or clean out the, the tone holes at all with a Q-tip or whatever, they're, they're never going to do it. And students can be such a mess with that stuff. Yeah, sometimes. and they shouldn't, you know. And generally speaking, for students, I say, don't twist any, uh, don't don't tighten any screws or whatever. Sometimes they're I put them where they're supposed to be, which is one tenth away from perfectly tight. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they uh, they'll the, totally the, over tighten. Well, sometimes, yeah, they think, oh, there's a screw. I must must need to tighten it. Oh, it's loose. Look at that. But, but it's never loose. Yeah. The screw is where it should be. Yeah, they don't. They don't. Uh, it, the become... screw's not moving. The key moves perfectly on the screw. Mm -hmm. but, the, but if you tighten the screw just that much more, it's actually pulling the two pieces it's attached to together, and it binds. So I, lessen it, loosen it off half a tenth of a turn, a little tiny bit. Yeah, and it's not that the screw is. T uh, it doesn't need to be tight in the hole. It just needs to be secured in there on so many of the spots. Like there's never a point on the clarinet where you just sort of. Uh, well, it can be, it can, if it's loose in the hole that it, that it goes in, it can wobble, and you don't want that. Yeah. You know, you've got to have a, there's a... A balance. A, very, a balance, yeah. But the thing that you, the question you asked, what would I put in there? One thing that I, I thought, if I ever got to do, if I ever do this again or uh, edit this thing, there's something I would definitely put in there, and I've had some experience with this. <clears throat> so many clarinets I get, they come here, and they've got, there's a reed floated out of the accessory compartment, sitting on top of the keys. Someone's uh, uh, reed trimmer sitting on top of the keys. And a lot, a lot of junk that's in there is in the part where the clarinet should be. <laughs> Nothing else should be there. Nothing. Yeah. Because I, I, one experience I did have, I overhauled someone's clarinet, I sent it back to them, and they said, oh, they were raving about it. It was great. And then they said, something, all of a sudden, something's wrong. It's not working. They sent it back to me. Their reed trimmer was sitting right over the G-sharp adjustment group. And, of course, <laughs> when they close the lid, it goes... and Crunches it in and, there. And, of course, the clarinet can't play. Yeah. You know? And so that should be... Like, when I get a clarinet, it's got a whole bunch of reeds and accessories, stuff like that. I put them in there, and I put in some bubble wrap or some crumpled up newspaper or something and, and tell them about it. Keep that. Keep, keep everything it. secure in that one spot. Don't let it get out where the clarinet is. Yeah. And another thing is too, don't have the clarinet just wobbling around in the case if it's too loose. Put some extra padding in there if it needs it. Yeah, and the padding location. I mean, I think a lot of people think that 
the more the better. But I don't think that the padding should be against the keywork. It should be more. It depends what you use. If you use memory yeah, foam, it could, be, it could be because memory foam, you take that thick and you go down a leg, you know. Yeah. But but uh, it shouldn't be enough to harm the, the keys, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But it should be enough. Basically, what I do is if I, can, I get the if I get it to the point where I can almost close the lid and it just got that much more to go, just do that and, and yeah. it's enough. You know it's going to hold it. And something, I'll take it and do that. If I can hear shaking, something's wrong. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So in the book, you talk about uh, what to do to prevent cracks. Um, and that's kind of everyone's nightmare with the clarinet is getting a crack. Are there any special tricks you can think of to prevent this beyond being just careful with the heat and cold and humidity? Or Well, that's um, one way that people can tell if, if something's not right. Yeah. Is if one of the rings turns on the clarinet. One of the one of the rings on the socket, if if it can turn or even falls off, mm -hmm. somehow the clarinet has dried out. Yes, um, and that's wrong. And, and I that's... I explain how to tighten those rings in the book. Yeah, um, those rings should always be tight. Otherwise, if it's loose, you may as well not have a ring on there at all. You just you shove that into something that's tight. What does it do? It cracks the wood. Yeah, it splits. It splits it. Yeah. And that's why so many barrels and, and clarinets have those rings, is to prevent those those transferred pressures from actually popping the wood itself, right? Yeah, they're, you, they're to, they're, yeah. They're to, they are there to reinforce the wood. Uh, you'll see some clarinets that are made that don't appear to have rings. Like there used to be uh, a Buffet um, R13. The Elite. Uh, elite. The Elite. Yeah. It, it had carbon fiber uh, rings on it. You don't yeah. see them, but they're there. I they're mean, you can see them if you look. Their new model called the Divine has that now too. Yeah, they, I think yeah, there are other ones that have that as well. And I've uh, but the, but the Elite was really known for it. Yeah. And although I love the Elite, it didn't play as well as I wanted. When the Elites first came into into North America, they brought the first set to me. You know, I only know two people that play them yeah. professionally in in an orchestra. And I should say one of them switched to uh, switched to the uh, vintage. Yeah. Um, recently, the other guy still plays them because he's about to retire. What made the elites so different? Did they? Have, I think they had that they thinner wood. They were much wood. lighter, much much lighter, thinner wall. Yeah, yeah. And then the carbon rings or something in the. This doesn't really affect the sound, but I think they had gold plated posts or something too. Like just a bunch of different. Yeah, stuff they did have gold plated posts. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yes. So. And silver and silver. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think the elite. I don't. I, I can't say this for certain, but I, I I don't think the elite has the left hand E flat lever. Oh no, it might. I, yeah, I, I can't remember honestly right now. I don't know why they don't put that on some clarinets because I, I think I that... was, because most people don't want it. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, when I when I had I had Buffet make me a, a prestige once um, uh, purposely. I had to speak to the the president of Buffet to get them to change it. Yeah. That one made for me without it. Really? You find this the, took extra, it the extra weight bothers what? you? or No, I just didn't. It got in the way. I was mm. always afraid I was going to hit it. Okay. And, and, and a lot of people, um, top-notch players, yeah. just take it off. You can do that too. Yeah, I've heard of that before. Just take it off. It's, it's one screw. Undo the screw and it comes off quite easily. Yeah. So why leave it on there? It's not worth taking a chance to have a big squawk in the middle of some quiet passage. You, you know, I've never felt that though. I've never felt that. On the festival, it's kind of out of the way, I guess. But I've never felt like I'm about to hit it by accident or anything. Well... But... Maybe you've sort of grown up with it. And yeah, maybe that's I suppose. Why. Maybe yeah. that's why. But uh, you know, for me, I don't like it. Yeah. And I don't need it. There's other ways to do it. Yeah, totally. In most cases, I, I agreeably. There, there, there are some things that it would come handy, hand, in handy for. Yeah. Well, even um, I just talked to 
uh, Raisa Falman, I think you may know her, but um, she recently switched to the Reform Bohm system. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it has the little sliders on the keys and Oh, and oh, oh like I know that. what you mean, yeah. I saw that. It was pretty cool. They're I, not sliders. They're called rollers, right? Rollers, yeah, yeah rollers. Right, yeah, and, yeah. and it actually made, I tried the end passage of the Debussy, that chromatic thing. Um, it made it really playable, <laughs> which was kind well, of interesting. Well, but the thing is, you see, you learn early on when you to, to use what you got, you know? Yes. And there yeah. are many times, like you're always counting in your head, obviously, if you're a good musician, you're always counting in your head and subdividing, subdividing, subdividing more, you know? And some places, you've got to make a, for example, you've got to make a switch from a, from a, with, with a pinky. You've got to make a switch from the right hand to the left hand. Yeah. So, say, from a C to a C on the left hand, and then you've got to quickly get onto the onto the onto the D sharp, and so you just you if you you know put a little bit of nose grease on there you can slide it over, yeah. and and <laughs> it does. But mo a lot of most clarinets used to have rollers between yeah. those two keys, and some of the other ones too. Yeah, yeah. The the uh, the German system, of course, has that. The the principal clarinet with the Los Angeles Philharmonic plays. Um, uh, oh, Zukowski. Yeah, M Michelle, Michelle Zukowski. Yeah. yeah, she she plays one where she's still got to wind the string on on to put a read on. Yes, yeah. Um, That's, she plays the German system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but I don't really know about the embouchure portion of it. Yeah, no, I was surprised to hear that it's supposed to be more. Uh, the lip is more kind of bunched. Yeah. To to do it or something like you know, that. Speaking so. of Los Angeles, I need to throw in a little thing here. For okay. Yep. <laughs> um, you heard of the movie The Terminal with Tom Hanks? Uh. Was that back in the nineties? Yeah, about then, maybe. Yeah. Anyways, the, the guy that the guy that uh, I wish I could remember his name. Probably one of the most famous directors ever. And he's still. Yeah. He did big jobs like Star Wars, but it wasn't him. I don't think it, it might have been e. George T. Lucas. No, he might have done E.T. Anyway, oh, Spielberg. 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 Yes. He loved clarinet playing, oh, and yes. there was a clarinet player in Los Angeles area that was absolutely incredible, and. He insisted they weren't going to do it. They didn't want to do it. But, but during the credits of that movie, yeah, there's her playing, and she is absolutely incredible. She's died of cancer soon after that. Who did? This this girl playing. I can't. Oh, the one name. you're talking about. But okay. I, so I've actually got the movie downstairs and, uh, mm -hmm. on a CD, on a DVD. Just and I bought it just so I could listen to that. It was called Terminal. The, uh, the, the terminal? movie's called The Terminal. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to check that out. I'm not sure, but uh... I'll let it to you if you want. You can take. Yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> but, but you know. I mean, it's a good movie too, but that clarinet playing at the end is absolutely, I heard that, I thought, whoa, and I read up on it. That's how I, I, learned, I heard that, that uh, you know, about yeah. the guy insisting, and, and for that guy, you know, anything he asked for, he's going to get. Yeah, totally, because he, yeah. Uh, but but she, she was incredible. Yeah. Anyways, where are we? Um, oh, yeah, you, you, you were asking me about cracks. Well, basically, you know, if the clarinet feels cold to your hands, it's too cold. Yeah. But mind you, your hands are going to be room temperature already. Yes. Uh, there's been many times I've had to had to have done something important and played something important, and I'll stick my hands in warm water, warm them up, because they move better. And, yeah. And and, and uh, but with the clarinet, if it's cold, and then you if you've got a cold tube, because that's what it is, a tube. If you've got a cold tube and you blow hot air on the inside of that tube. And the room temperature is a bit cooler. Something's got to give. Yeah. So you blow hot air in there. The inside's going to stretch a little bit. Something's going to give, so it's going to crack. Well, and, and that happens two ways. One way is from from moisture going into the wood faster than it is from the outside, 
And the other way is that it's getting warmer on the inside than it is on the outside. Yeah. That's the only two ways a clarinet can crack. There's splits, but that's a different thing, a little bit different thing. So a split, that's more... A split is more where uh, someone puts something, uh, a screw something into a hole that is a bit too big for the hole. Oh, I see. So you mentioned a minute ago there was a clarinet that came here that had sort of the uh, screw stuck in with, it was like rusted in there or oh, something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was the strangest repair store you've ever encountered? When I was in Ottawa, Jay Morton, very well-known, highly respected clarinet player, first clarinet player, principal clarinet player of the National Arts Centre Orchestra, um, anyways, um, he used to come to me and get his work done and send his students. And he said, one day he said, I got this client, I can't figure out what's wrong with this thing. So he said, could you do an overhaul? And so I did an overhaul and it still was horrible. What I discovered was when they made it at the factory, they put the reamer in from the wrong end. <laughs> so that was the reason. So it got through the assembly really line. Of... <laughs> yeah. And no one had discovered it until I guess I did that. What about like a strange accident or something? Someone... Uh, oh, um, well, I, got, I can give you a strange accident. When I lived in, in Ottawa, the snow was pretty bad yeah. in the wintertime. And I sold a new clarinet to someone. And they, they were a kid in school. And there was lots of snow. And they put the clarinet down and uh, went across the street to play with their kids, with, with their friends. And when they came back, the garbage truck would come along and run over it. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty bad. So they immediately bought another one because their clarinet, their house insurance paid for it anyway. So, <laughs> oh really? So it yeah. was covered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is kind of horror stories, but that's not something I guess you can repair. It's sort of a. <laughs> no, you no. Yeah, I might have taken it for parts, but yeah, you know, that usually is no good. So and over the years, like you said, there's been what was it, three thousand clarinets? Almost. I, I would guess that's yeah. a wild guess. But it could be, it could be more. Even. So there must be a time when you open the case and you're just like, oh no, not again. <laughs> We've kind of been over a couple things like the oiling and the, uh, and the um, reading your book. <laughs> but what other pet peeves do you kind of have as a repair, as a repairman? Well, you know, every single one of them is different and I can't treat them all as a routine way. I have a routine way of doing each one. But yeah. so one thing that I do make sure is that I don't go to step two until step one is perfect. Mm-hmm. And same with step 18 before step 19, you know? Yeah. Because I'm going to have to come back at the end and figure it out. Why not get it right the first time? Yeah. I learned that a long time ago. Get it right first. But with that, though, what I mean, though, is a, a clarinet case comes here and you open it up and, and you're sort of, you look at it and you're, you're like, oh, my God, I wish this person had done X. Like, I wish they'd oil well, the... Well, I, I, I don't... You don't see that, No, eh? I, and I, I could say, you know, I can say to myself, if someone had done this... If someone had done X, it would be in better shape now. I could say that. Yeah. But I don't care. But it's different for each instrument, you think? Like people kind of... No, no. Most instruments are just routine. Yeah? Okay. I, I, occasionally, I've had some that have been in a basement that's flooded. Yeah. And stuff like that. And it's got green stuff all, all over it. And yeah. And see wormholes in the beds. Stuff like that. You know, well, you know, that's different. Yeah. But I still got to do the same thing. Clean it all up. Polish it all up. Place, replace all the pads. Yeah, I guess when you're doing something sort of as severe as an overhaul, it's not really routine maintenance anymore. It's just, it's all going anyway. I don't, but. you know, people ask, I had, not so much anymore, but people used to do me, ask me to do little things. Mm -hmm. I say, I don't do band-aid work. Yeah. And I don't do something, I don't touch up something that someone else has done. Mm -hmm. If it's going to leave here, it's going to be perfect. And if not, don't bring it here. So would that be the pet peeve then? Sort of, you, you, you like them to sort of treat the, the place it gets repaired as... A localized place like not to take it all around and, and get everyone to put their well, hands no, on no, it no no uh, uh, i certainly i wouldn't want that them to do that yeah but i've had people 
I've had some people that have been clients and then they phone me with, almost with tears saying, look, I took my client to such and such and, and it, it's worse. It's horrible. Yeah. And I said, oh, did, did you pay for that? He said, yeah, we paid like 600 bucks or something. At that time I was charging 400 bucks probably. And uh, so they bought it and quite happily paid the other $400 to get me to totally do it over again. Because a lot of these, a lot of music stores that parents or people new to clarinet or, um, or friends of clarinets or even the clarinet player themselves, a young person, they will believe everything that someone in a music store tells them they, because yeah. they think, but sometimes they're telling them something to get them to make a sale yeah. or to make the right sale, you know? And, um, and then a lot of repairmen that, you know, uh, some repairmen repair everything. Most repairmen probably actually repair everything. Whereas some repairmen specialize on just the woodwinds. I specialize just on clarinets and I play it. I don't think, I don't think you should repair something if you don't play it. Yes. Yeah. Because how can you tell if it's right? Yeah. You can't really check your work. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So to, to have the clarinet sent out here then, just so people know, um, like for me, what I do is I, I put it on a bus and send it out to Pentech. Then you do the work, we send it back. Um, but it's usually every couple of years for an overhaul. Is that kind of the average people seem to like break it into the key work? It, it depends. I mean, some, I mean, I've had people get it done every six months. Really? I've had people, there's, there's, a, there's a guy I know in Calgary that um, I didn't hear from him in like eight years. Yeah, I thought, oh gosh, well, okay, so he's going somewhere else, you know. Then one day the phone rings, it's him. He says, "Can you overhaul my clarinet?" <laughs> and I thought, okay, sure. So I did. And when I got here, I realized he hadn't had anything done to it in eight years. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, if you're lucky, you can get by with it. But then I tell people that you know, there's things on the clarinet that are drying out, like the pad glue. Yes. You know, and, and if they dry out, a pad can fall out. And you don't want that to happen just before a concert. No. So, so sometimes it's, it's, it's preventative care. Yeah, well, you want to keep it working. And I, I kind of compare. I don't know if this is a good analogy. You can tell me, I guess. I say to a student, for example, like, you're not going to ride your bike for three seasons without oiling the, the gear system and the chain. <laughs> Why would you do that to your clarinet? It's, it's metal grinding metal. It's, exactly. It's not, Same you know, with the car, too. Yeah, the car needs an oil change. Yeah. That's not the best analogy for kids. But <laughs> well, you can use the gasoline analogy. Yeah, yeah. Lamb, yeah. yeah, it's out of gas. You need to get, the, needs that's to why go. it stopped, because you didn't put gas in. Yeah, you know? totally. <laughs> so there's been a lot of... Uh, your, your ligature has gotten a lot of attention. Um, you invented that, what, in the eight, was it in the 80s, late 80s? I did that ligature about two years before I came out here. Um, and... Well, I was already making barrels, and they were already very popular. And I decided, okay, what, what, what else could I improve on the clarinet? And so I thought, well, the ligature, because I, I know what I want. I want something where not much of anything touches anything, but everything is held firmly on there. And, yeah. and um, I wanted something to touch down on four points on the reed, two up here, two at the top, two on the bottom, and tighten one screw, not two screws. And, and, but give equal pressure on those four points, no matter if the bark's all warped or, or, or if it's perfect or whatever. And uh, so I just, I, I thought a ball and socket joint, that'll do it. Put a ball and socket joint on this, right? Put, put a ball and socket joint on there and it worked great. Trouble is it was so bulky it hit your chin. Oh. So then I found another way of accomplishing the same thing. Yeah. But 
what I set out to do was I set out to make the best possible ligature with no consideration of how much it would cost. Like, if I thought I could sell them for 30 bucks and they were like 95% as good as what I got now, I wouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. Like, I made a ligature I don't, pretty sure I feel, and a lot of people feel, can't be improved upon. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I did. I, I, and I, it took me about two years to do this. I sent out samples to many different players, uh, respected players, and um, I got pretty well rave reviews back on every, from everyone. And so I just pr proceeded with it and started selling them, and uh, that's it. So they were designed in Canada. They're still built in Canada, right? You get them yeah, manufactured. Yeah, uh, there's a guy in Toronto who's fabulous. He builds them that, 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 uh, Makes them for me, yeah. And he, he does other things, too. He makes bassoon parts for, for bassoon makers and, and other yeah. parts. He makes things for trumpet players. He, he's, a, he's a clarinet player, a professional-level clarinet player, um, a student of Stan McCartney, but he's also a fabulous machinist. Yeah. And so the, the materials then for the, the, the ligature, you're using, what, what's the metal? What type of metal is it? Stainless steel. Stainless steel. And so many ligatures are made with copper. Was there a reason you went with uh, stainless steel instead of another metal? Just for well, I wouldn't make it out of copper. That's for sure. Don't they make a lot of them out of copper, plated with something? I doubt it. No, well, if okay. they do, they'd be very weak. Yeah, no, I'm not sure. I've, I think I've seen some. What is the standard material then? Is it nickel? They're plated. Well, nickel or... plated mostly. I. What do they make them out of though? Because stainless steel, I, I don't think they use stainless steel. Probably not. No. No, I think it's just maybe uh, the only one that uses that. Yeah, you know, the stainless steel on, on some parts and piano-type wire on to hold the thing together yeah. and, and uh, Delrin rod, you know, to hold on the rods that touch the, the actual yeah, mouthpiece. Yeah. The, the actual mouthpiece, yeah. Delrin, that's... Uh, what's Delrin? It's, it's like a Teflon type It's thing. like a Teflon, okay. Because, yeah. yeah, so for those who don't know, um, <laughs> this, the ligature, well, you can see it on the website. I'll post a picture. But what makes it so cool is there's very little contact points and then there's this thing which you call the floating rail Two floating Design. rails. Two rails. They're actually an arch like this, so that it'll it'll if it's got pressure on it, it's going to push down so it settles right on where the, where the it's going to touch down with equal pressure on both ends of the reed. Yeah. And there's one here and there's one here side by side, so it's touching down on four points on the reed. And what's interesting about that is you can make the ligature as perfect as you want. You can make the part of the reed that's actually worked on as perfect as you want, but the the outside is always got imperfections. So this sort of accommodates that. And lets you put the... Yeah, the, because, I mean, the more vibration you got going, the better. Yeah. You know, and most people think, oh, the vibration, is, you know, it, most people, let's put it this, reword this, most people don't, a lot of people don't realize that when a clarinet player is playing a clarinet, they are hearing the vibrations through the teeth in their mouth, through the bones in their head, to their ear. Yes. Whereas... Nowadays, and ever since uh, Gillette, he used to show me how he made his rubber patches to put on the clarinet, and I used to sell those to the guys in the Montreal Symphony and everything, you know, because I used to make them myself. Now, of course, every company's making these patches, yeah. but um, a mouthpiece cushion, I guess it would be more accurate. But, but um, that is so that you don't have the vibration in your head, but you do have the vibration out there where people listen. Yeah, that you can hear. Yeah. Yeah. So... What you just said there, does that mean that the mouthpiece patch kind of prevents the, I guess, the head from vibrating as part of the no, instrument? No, you got or? your bottom, in most cases, unless you're a double lip. Yeah. If you were a double lip, you wouldn't need the patch. Yes. But, but your, your bottom lip is cushioning the reed, yeah. right? 
and and your top teeth are touching the mouthpiece usually, but if you put a patch there, they're touching the patch. Yes. So you're hearing it more like everyone else hears it, as opposed to just through the bones in your head. And that's why I can barely play without a patch. For some reason, it's so the sensation it's, is so it's different too. I must admit. Yeah, yeah, it's comfortable. Yeah, too. it's way more comfortable. Yeah. I think that what you just said there confuses a lot of students because they think that when they put enough air through and get that vibration, they think they sound bad. Um, but what they don't realize is that to the, the person sitting at a distance from them, it actually sounds better because that amount of vibration across the room sort of improves like we're in a bunch of wineries around here, but <laughs> it improves like wine, you know? I mean, you can't have the, the buzzing you're feeling in your head is not what your neighbor's hearing. That's right. You know? That's right. So that's... I don't know if that was really clear what I was trying to say, but <laughs> but that's the analogy I like to use um, with with that. Anyways, so the ligature, what is it about the the few points of contact that you wanted to really go for? Like, well, the, let's put it this way: with with more contact, there's more restriction. Yeah, it's more dampening effect. So you wanted like almost the smallest amount. You want possible. no dampening effect. Yeah, but you have to have some, so there's as, as little as possible. Yeah. Because it's not just the reed that vibrates, it's the back end of the reed, the ligature, the mouthpiece, everything vibrates. Yeah, it's all vibrating. It all vibrates. And so, I'm just sorry, there was a few questions about the, the ligature actually. Okay. Um, uh, you have that patented, correct? The, the design? Nope. Oh, nope. no, okay. I, I, was, I, I looked into it, but I have to live three or four lifetimes to make enough money to, oh, from yeah, selling the, them. Oh, yeah, the, the, the patent. But I discovered also that no one else can make it. If this guy that makes it for me now quits, I'm up the creek. Yeah. Because it's so complex. It's so difficult to make. I even said two to China. And I said, just so I could see, you know, what they could get made for. They said, we can't do it. Mm -hmm. They can't do it. <laughs> you know, in China, they can't even do it, you know. Yeah. So I, I gave up. You know, I'm very happy with the guy that I got doing it. Everyone is perfect. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. He, He's also a professional level clarinet player. He knows he knows what I was aiming to get. So you know, a lot of the a lot of the design concept has come from him too. You know. Yeah, and is it that the 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 ease of the vibration? I guess then, which is what leads to sort of um, the ease of articulation on it, because that's one of the. Oh, it it certainly yeah. Especially people say you know for, you know making a, like optic optic an octave leap for instance. You know. Yeah. The the top note just comes up it's just there you know it's yeah. not there's no delay and then it's there it's just there yeah it's a really cool it's a cool design and i think that um peter actually we should mention this now uh that's what the giveaway for this episode is going to be he's provided me with a one of his floating rail ligatures for the b-flat clarinet so someone's going to be lucky enough to win that and uh that's a great prize because it's a really they're kind of hard to find throughout the world because they are limited production right it's not like uh yeah most people i got i got um I got an email from someone. I get this all the time. Don't try and think about the last one. I think it was in England, actually. Yeah. Uh, or somewhere in Europe. And um, anyways, they said, where can we buy this in Europe? We want one. Where can we buy it? Yeah. I heard someone playing on it or tried it or whatever. You know, he wants one. I said, well, you know, I, I'll, just give me your address. Give me your mailing address and give me your visa number and you got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the way. <laughs> and actually, it's cheaper for me to mail to Europe than it is to the States. No, it's, it's cheaper for me. It's cheaper for me to mail to the states or to Europe than it is for me to mail from here to Toronto. Wow, which is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I can mail it from here to anywhere in the states for eight dollars. 
Yeah. For, uh, the minimum to send in Canada is about 12. Yeah. And uh, to Europe is about 11. Yeah. But they've made it all around the world, right? These, these ligatures. Oh, uh, of, yeah. 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 Cause yeah, and I a, did have, there's a guy in Israel bought um, a few at one point. Um, there's a, guy, a place in England that bought a few at one point. There's a guy in Japan that bought about 300. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> and most of he thought, he, oh, they're going to need these for the bass clarinet. He bought like 200 B flats and 100 bass clarinet once. I don't think he's ever ordered another bass clarinet one because he's never going to run out. He's got enough for, <laughs> for loads. You know? Enough for lots, yeah. yeah. But no, they are popular. People, people do like them. Um, we've got a couple of listener questions here, and these were submitted a while back because originally we were going to talk on the phone, but then as we got chatting, I was like, well, wait, I should just come out there, and, and so here I am. But um, anyways, Gustavo B. from Facebook asks, old clarinets against new clarinets, which do you choose? And I'm not entirely sure what he means, but I, I think what he's saying is that what is the benefit to buying refurbished, refurbished instruments from the so-called golden eras? Um, versus the new instruments today like do you think that the instruments age like wine or or is it better to go with something something newer well there's so many factors involved one yeah. is cost yes like what would you rather have a 20 year old maserati or a brand spanking new volkswagen yeah i well, guess it depends on your needs too yeah 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 but it'd be kind of cool to have the maserati right <laughs> yeah absolutely yes, yes. <laughs> um and it's the same type of thing with clarinets um although the, the one main difference with clarinets is the wood which is called uh, uh mapingo comes from a mapingo tree um grenadilla um we, yeah. know, we know it as african blackwood basically but um it's grown in i think it's tanzania just south of kenya in that area and that's and like one guy i'll take it's such a hard wood that the guy will take an axe out to cut this thing down. He takes a file with him because he's got to sharpen his axe about four or five times while cutting down this tree. Wow. And it's not a big tree. And, and the wood is getting so scarce. But now, there, some of the, I've got a bunch of the wood downstairs. And some of it, you can still see in the bark, the white part of it. And you can still see, like the, the, the regular R13s now, the wood is stained. Yes. It's stained. Whereas, whereas on some of the, probably the festival that you've got, wasn't stained. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're making use of more of the wood, which is not as good. The wood closer to the center of the, bar, of the, of the limb is, is harder and better. Yeah. And that's what you want to aim for. But uh, that's nothing, you know. But anyways, um, back in the 60s, that's when they, most people think of the wood as being better. Yeah. And that's one reason I've been getting these uh, Yvette Schaefer's, which are basically like an R13, and uh, bringing them back to life, making them actually better than they ever were. And, and selling them, because I can sell them for a third of the price of the R13, but, but um, to most people, it's just as good. Yeah, and I guess it would depend how much use they've had, too, because is it true that the wood deteriorates the more you play it as the moisture gets in there, or not really? I don't... Because some people use this term, blown out. I like know, I is... know, and that's a term that's, that's kind of... I've never know what that means. I don't. I don't even know if the people who use it know what it means. It it means that it means that they think it has lost the center of the sound. Yes. It has lost the ability to project. But physically, what does it mean? What would that mean physically? It could mean that they think it has um, it has worn out out the middle, and the middle is bigger than it used to be. Yeah. And that would that would that sound reasonable. A lot of people, you know, 
will never ever ever pull a pull a, a mouth pull a, a swab through their mouthpiece. Yeah, and I sort of subscribe to that. Ollie will do it once every six months. Yeah, but but you know it'll wear it out enough to make it change. Well, that's what scares me. I I don't know if you've seen those. Well, you probably have, but those really cheap swabs with the metal ends. Do you mean? Oh, those are horrible. They they've got these things. They've got these things. They call them pad savers, and and I, oh, I they rot them. I, I went to the I went to the guy that made them. I saw him. I was at the NAM show, which is the National Association of Music Merchants in North America. It's a big thing in Anaheim Convention Center. I went. To the, I found the guy that made these things. And I said, thanks so much. You've wrecked so many clarinets, made so much money for me, you know, <laughs> and they're still selling them. I get so many clarinets to come back. I, I send those things back, but I tell them, throw these things away. Because what they're doing, they put those things in the bore of the clarinet. It soaks up the moisture that's in the bore there, and it leaves it there. So it's yeah. still really there, doing damage to the bore, you know. Yeah. It's just, and it's... so it's, they're horrible things. Do they no. work for plastic clarinets though, or those well, just no, don't? Well, plastic clarinets don't change. But so you could use those those pad saver things in a plastic well, without. Well, theoretically, you never need to do anything to a plastic clarinet. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Except maybe see how long it'll burn if you light it. <laughs> yeah, not, not long. Plastic, uh, <laughs> plastic won't do that. <laughs> what do you think of materials for instruments? Like I've seen uh, metal, plastic. Some companies are using hard rubber now. Different woods. Yeah, like... I, I said I had some. I had some clarinets made once with my name on it and they were made of hard rubber and I came across one a while ago. I wasn't fussy about them. Yeah. Um, uh, they didn't do what I, 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 I would, I would agree that if they're made to the specifications I gave, they would have been right. Exactly. But they yeah. weren't. Yeah. And maybe they're made out of hard rubber because it's easily accessible over there. I don't know. I don't know, but uh, I've seen clarinets. Uh, Buffet used to make the B12, the student model clarinet, yeah. in clear plastic. You could I, see, you could see your lunch that. going through it. Yeah, I saw really. that. Yeah, they, well, they used to. And I've seen them on, on uh, auction sites still. Some, once in a while, I've seen, I see them. I think there may be a company in China that's making them like that now, too. There is, yeah. Because oh. I looked, the, those clear ones are very rare. I think they only made 1,000 or something. And uh, I think they did sort of a golden key work on them too, or something. Uh, there's some famous jazz player who uses one, almost yeah. exclusively. I can't remember who right now, but um, they they pop up every once in a while on, on eBay. I think they go for over a thousand dollars. Could be they're because really, they're unique, you know. But yeah, they're, they're very they're, unique. They're yeah. still a B12. You yeah, know? like yeah. it's like you you put a lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... It's the same concept exactly. I just have wondered, I mean... It's neat. I, you know, I, I, I would like to have a clarinet that has totally got gold keys. And, and in fact, I overhauled a clarinet for someone once that somehow he got it. It had, it was a Bouvier R13. It was all gold keys. Yeah. And uh, it was really neat. But uh, he, he got it from someone special. I don't know how he got it, but he did. And I guess they have made them. And you can re you can request that from Bouvet. You can pay a lot extra. Get oh, can you? Oh, yes. You can get them with maybe the gold keys or gold posts or mm -hmm. both. Do you think the material of the keywork really affects? Uh, right. Obviously not the sound, but I mean, I do find I prefer the feel of of silver over nickel. And, and for me, the nickel always, always corrodes much quicker. I must have acidic fingers or something. Well, it could be. There are some people I've seen. There was a clarinet player in Ottawa. Um, played in the symphony mm -hmm. and he's the only one I've ever seen that he's actually worn right through the rings they've disappeared the rings have disappeared almost 
Like the actual metal? The actual ring is now like that. It's, it's broken apart because it's worn right through. So the metal was physically wearing away. Absolutely. Uh, wow. Oh, yeah. So thin. So incredibly thin. Yeah. Wow. Um, but that is a personal preference thing. I think I prefer the nickel. Really? Because I can take either one, but I feel it's a bit more slippery. Yeah, and that's exactly what I don't like about it. And that's what I do like about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so know? it's all personal preference. That's, a, <clears throat> yeah. that's what's so important. I think people <clears throat> miss that. And um, So the, the next question here, I'm not sure if you would have tried these or heard of these, but uh, what do you think of Rue pads for the clarinet? Um, is can that I laugh you... on this thing? <laughs> <laughs> is that something you've heard of? I don't know. I, no, I've never heard of them, but I can imagine. Kangaroo pads, I imagine. Yeah, I was thinking probably kangaroo skin and or something. It, it, it can't be. It, it, let's face it, it it's leather. Yeah. Leather pads have a place. And most the proper places for them is bass clarinet, not on a regular clarinet. Yeah, why Although is that? I have played a clarinet with leather pads. Yeah. And uh, I actually have pads, leather pads too, but I don't use them. I, you know, I prefer what I use. Yeah. And, and I've always used... Um, Basically the same type of thing as Manic, which, uh, which is cork pads on the top, except for one. And on the bottom is pads I make myself, except for one, which is cork. And the ones I use on the bottom and the top one, the one on the top, are I'm, I'm covering them with Teflon. Hmm. Now, as you know, plumbers use Teflon to stop leaks, right? Yes. If they stop leaks on plumbing, they surely <laughs> would stop a leak on a clarinet. <laughs> and I find I get incredible suction on a clarinet. So you make your own pads for the... Uh, yep. And the cork ones too. And, and the cork, yeah. Yeah, so... It, was that clarinet player from, from Australia that asked that question? I don't know. The second time I was in Australia, I went to the, the Conservatorium of Music in Queensland, in Brisbane. And yeah. uh, there was an American clarinet player there, but uh, he lived with a big snake and everything. He, you know, he was settled there. Um, but he, um, he was using the same setup I do. Yeah. You know? I mean, if, if root pads were better, he would have been using them. Yeah. Just like all those, I forget, I used to have those, some of those Australian reeds do at one point. And it's, well, I don't know those. it's a gimmicky thing. It's Australia. It's got to be better because it's far away. It's like a lot of people think, whoa, if I go from here to Halifax to take a clarinet lesson, I'm going to get, I'm going to learn so much. But not necessarily. The guy that's next door to you might be better. You know? Yeah. But a lot of people think you go far away, you're going to get better. It's not necessarily the case. It and is sometimes the case. What's interesting, too, is that in those places that are far away, sometimes they're looking to where you are for... Exactly. The grass is always greener, right? Exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, to, to, to expand on that a little bit, um, I agree with going to the best player that you could possibly find. Yeah. Um, if, there's, if someone lives in, say... Oh, gosh, how can I relate this to, to you? Um, if someone lives in... Canmore, for, for, for instance. Yeah. If someone lives in Canmore and they're taking clarinet lessons from someone that might play saxophone and teach clarinet and teach flute and teach drums and teach a whole bunch of different things, um, better than taking a, a lesson there every week, they're better off to go to Calgary once a month and take lessons with someone that's actually using the instrument to make money. Make, make, they're making their living off the clarinet because they play it so well. And yeah. know how to, how, how to teach it, too. Yeah. And they're better off to take less lessons further away. Like, I used to go to Philadelphia to take lessons, you know. And where were you I, I knew there was a guy in Calgary that I knew. He used to drive to, to, to Chicago every month to take a lesson, a, a tuba lesson. 
Because the best tuba player in the world, his name was Jake, mm -hmm. and, and he was in the Chicago Symphony. For those who don't know, that's a 20-hour drive. Isn't that that? Oh, it's a long way. It's a long drive. It's a long way. I mean, some people think, some people say to me, you know, people that live where I live, in I, I, technically I live two miles, exactly two miles outside the city limits. Yeah. And people say, some people come out here for the first time, they've never been anywhere else. They've never been out of Penticton. They think, whoa, you live way out in the boonies. You know, really, to me, it's a nice drive. Yeah, no, it is a nice drive in here. And you're, you're about four hours from Vancouver, about five hours, I think, from Seattle. So you're not that far from not that far. people from stuff. Most people from well, a lot of people from Seattle come up to to see me. Yeah, a highly respected clarinet professor from Moscow, Idaho, mm -hmm. is driving up here in uh, sometime as soon as he gets a chance in a, in a, in, a, in the next few, little while to get me to check over his clarinets again. Yeah, <clears throat> and that's uh, Idaho. And I, Moscow, Idaho. That's down by, past. Uh, that's like a three hundred mile drive. Yeah, which is about, what, six hours probably? Uh, it's further than Vancouver. Oh, more than that. I'd say more like eight hours drive. Oh, okay. So almost as far as Calgary, but... Yeah, yeah. Great. So I've been trying to incorporate this new, uh, this sort of the lightning round oh. <laughs> idea, and no one's come up with a better name yet, so if you can think of one, we can call it that, or a different name. I just know that there's some other podcasts that do this, and I thought it was kind of a cool idea, so we'll call how it about, the light... How about Vivachi? The what? Vivachi. Vivachi. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Yeah, I've been trying to think of sort of my own name for it, but uh, basically what it is is a series of questions that are just all, we just go through them real quick and sure. answer them in less than a minute, but I'm not going to time it or anything, so we can just, <laughs> we'll sure. just rock it through them. Uh, yep. Yeah, I like that. Um, so if I walked over to a music stand or your workbench right now, what, what would I find? What are you working on? You would find a clarinet partway through an overhaul. A clarinet. Is it a particular model or? It's one of these Yvette Schaefer's. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you... What's your all-time favorite piece of music? And that can be like an album or a classical That's a piece. You know, that is a tough question. Yeah, it because is. Because I love all kinds of music. Even country and western. Even Elvis, for instance. Yeah. You know, if it's good, it's good. Um, I prefer something that's like really super musical and, and, and it can also make, almost make you cry. It's so beautiful. Like, yeah. for instance... Uh, the two Ave Marias, well, there's actually more than that, but the two main ones, they're just gorgeous music done right. On clarinet uh, playing, I, I, in fact, you've got uh, some of this music, um, the Paul Reed um, uh, uh, Victorian Kitchen Garden. Yeah. Have you heard that? Yeah, it's really... It's especially number five, it's just gorgeous. Yeah. A beautiful way to, to, to demonstrate how beautiful a clarinet sound can be. Yeah. Anyways, we're we're beyond this, aren't we? No, that's a great answer. Oh, okay. Uh, but other than that, I put down Mozart clarinet quintet. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the adagio. <laughs> if you couldn't play the clarinet for whatever reason, or you didn't play, which other instrument would you play? There's something else that kind of draws your. Well, looking back, I probably would have chosen this thing. The piano. Yeah. Yeah. When you're a clarinet player. You wake up in the middle of the night and you're worried about your reeds. Yes. You know, and then you can't sleep because you're worried about the reeds. Yeah. And and this goes on for a lifetime. Yeah. You know. It never stops. It never <laughs> stops. Yeah, your your playing is so dependent on <clears throat> on the reeds, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, but. I've I've solved that to some extent. I, I shouldn't mention this, but well, I used the Legers for a while. Yeah. Which I was are, the first one in Canada to sell them. They're although great. Although they're made though. in Canada. Yeah. Um. And then I, I then I heard about the four stones, and I I've been I sold I sold them for a while. I still have some left, yeah. but I've been using them. I've got enough for my 
rest of my life. And yeah. to me, they're as good as a good Van Doren. Really? Yes. Those are from Japan, is it? They're uh, from Japan, yeah. Yeah, so there's a few different yeah. different options there. Um, so where can listeners find you online? We've got uh, your website. Well, I, I suppose just a search of my name. Yeah, find Google. <laughs> Google me. Google. Google my name and add clarinet, you'll find me. I have yeah. no social media at all. My wife has them. Yeah. If you want to talk to her, you can, but you can't talk to me because <laughs> i got better things to do. So is there anything else you'd like to share with the clarinet audience that we didn't <clears throat> touch on? or? Well, something I basically said a few minutes ago, and that was you're better off to have a great teacher further away than a not-so-good teacher close by because someone that's got a not-so-good teacher... I explained this all to... The, I've got a clarinet on its way here right now from Walla Walla, Washington, and the guy has got it... Uh, He's, it's a great clarinet. It's, it's an R13. He's got it for his for his for his uh, grandson or something. I think I explained all this stuff to him. I said, and he asked about teacher. I said, well, you know, I said where you are in Walla Walla, you're not too far from from Moscow, Idaho. There's great teachers there. There's a great uni uh, university there. Go there. And I said, you know what? I said, the, the, if your son takes lessons from someone close by, I don't know who's close by, but not likely it's going to be anyone great. And so. What he's doing is learning things wrong. He's going to be perfecting those mistakes by playing them over and over and over and over again. And then mm -hmm. when he gets a really good teacher, it's going to be remedial for the first several months, getting yeah. rid of those bad, bad habits that he's perfected. Yeah. You know, so you're better off to get the best teacher possible, even if you have to drive five hours once every two months, get one good lesson. You know, yeah, you're better like off to do that. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Peter. And I'm, I'm really glad I got to come out here and, and see the Clarinet Center and uh, the beautiful view from the lake and, and spend some time out here. So thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Glad to have you. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode of the Clarinet Podcast. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or questions for upcoming guests, you can contact the show directly at feedback at clarineat.com. That's feedback at clarineat.com. If you're interested in winning any items mentioned on this show or upcoming episodes, please subscribe to the Clarineat email list. Even if you don't win, you'll receive the monthly Clarineat newsletter, which includes an exclusive discount coupon, special offers, and more. And as a thank you for subscribing, you'll even receive 10% off your first purchase today. To subscribe, please see clarinet.com and enter your email address on the sidebar of the homepage. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.